Welcome to the Gibson Gazette, where everything in life is story. Story is how we share ideas, politics, vision, fantasies, experiences, even our hopes and dreams. The Gibson Gazette is a podcast show devoted to story. Those we consume, those we tell ourselves, and those told to us. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, AMC? I am your host, co-host, LMG. LMG and AMC, the acronyms are running the show. Hello, hello, good evening, good night, good morning, folks, whenever you're tuning in, and thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. And I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. How are you? How's it going? Uh, I'm fine after um, a lot of false starts and technical difficulties. We're, we're <laughs> back here. Uh, those who don't know, you know, we had our, you know, first show problems. So, but we're, we think we have it under control now. If we suddenly yes. become people and turn green, you'll know that it's some technical difficulties that we had nothing to do with. Um, <laughs> but, but otherwise, I am well and um, happy to see 2022 um, alive and prospering. So I can't complain too much. I did enter it initially sick uh, with a cold, um, oh. but yeah, and I already had COVID back in July. Um, I got oh. tested that Monday that I started experiencing symptoms, but um, I didn't have any. Uh, I, well, I got a nasal test, and every I've heard since then that I actually should have got a throat test um, in order to detect oh. Omicron. But uh, in any case, the test did not detect COVID, but I was still sick for like eight or nine days. So, yeah. um, but it wasn't as bad as my COVID experience with the Delta, the Delta situation. She whipped my ass. Add- <laughs> yeah, she told me up. She tried to wear me thin, but as you can see, still oh, very wow. fluffy, still very lush. Um, <laughs> That's a good part. Baby. <laughs> right, right. That's what I would tell myself in the mirror after a shower. Um, but but uh, welcome to our official first show. Hopefully, you got a chance to check out our narcissistic interviewing one another uh, orientation show uh, that we recorded special just to kind of give us a feel for each other, but also you all a feel for what to expect for this show. Um, We're going to start with a check-in and I'll ask AMC, what are you checking out these days in the media? I would say television. Um, more so, more than anything else. Yeah, television. I, I get quiet time. No, mommy, 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 every two seconds uh, after 10. So 10 o'clock is usually binging hour. And um, I'm a binger. I love to binge. So lately, I must say I've been watching Sex in the City. I said I wasn't going to watch Sex in the City. I lied to myself. Uh, you know, the first uh, episode, I who you know who it was? It was Demetria Lucas. I'm not even gonna lie. She had put up a spoiler alert and started talking about the first episode, and I was like, "All right, it started." And I read the spoiler alert. I I, I said, "What? Okay, now I have to check and see what's going on." So I I watched the episode. I mean, by this point, I'm sure everybody knows. Should I should I even say it? I mean, you can say some, yeah, I think at this point, Peloton has helped make sure that everybody knew. <laughs> Peloton alone, I think that that guy did, anyways. So I, I won't even go there. Um, 
you know what? Uh, Mr. Big died, and it's just been um, a tumultuous journey for Carrie thus far. It's been pretty interesting to watch it unfold. I thought I was going to be really upset, and I think that a lot of the banter and and uh, people not really wanting to be supportive of the show was because Kim Cattrall wasn't going to be there, and Kim was a huge component of that show. Girl! <laughs> Samantha, Samantha was it, right? She was she was a big component of the show. So um, I I really don't appreciate the way they did her. I think they did her dirty. I don't think that she would have done what they uh, said that she did on the show. Yes, she would have sent those flowers, but she would have never ever ever broken up with Carrie like that. That's that's not how their friendship rolled. Um, so yeah, I was I, I was really dirty, uh, mad about the way they did her dirty and also um for for um oh, what's his name mr blatch i was very um upset too uh her 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 beautiful um gay bestie I oh that, well he died in real life crazy. so they had no choice but to yeah. have to write him out the show like um, i mean i don't know like i am not so i'm one of these people who um I didn't understand the brouhaha over people not liking the new um, season. Um, I don't know. I guess they wanted it to stay the same. And, like, none of us are the same people we were 20, 30 years ago. So the idea that Sex and the City would have stayed exactly the same show. Um, I mean, even named it a different name, right? And just like that. Uh, for right. me, didn't make sense. Um, they did try to correct some of the issues around people of color representation. I have seen lots of takedowns by people of color cultural critics um, about those depictions, about those people um, feeling like they're not given equal time in their own storylines. And I'm like, they're not supposed. They're not the show. <laughs> like they're, they're. If they feel like accessories on some level, it's because they are accessories. Because the show yeah. is not centering the people of color friends. The show is centering these three white women in their lives, and you cannot right. watch the three white women in their lives, and that's totally acceptable. Um, but the idea that you know they want the show to be something that it's not, and it has never been. I mean, it's always been a problematic show about white women of privilege. Oh my God. Um, and, 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 and almost fantastical because, you know, Carrie could never have afforded that apartment <laughs> of a columnist salary in New York City. So um, it always had been a little fantastical. It always been slight, somewhat problematic. Um, it hasn't aged as well as, you know, one would like. Um, but, you know, I have tuned in every week to, and to the new version. I don't hate it um, the way some people have. I don't hate it either. Um, I don't hate it. And I guess I've just taken it for what it is. You know, mm-hmm. another problematic show about middle class white women with means. <laughs> so, and that's that. <laughs> and, and, and just like that, <laughs> we've described the show um, with that's a few spoilers. So, uh, you know, check it out for yourself and decide for yourself. Um, we might have just simply outgrown Sex in the City. No one asked for this iteration. Um, so the fact that I actually am enjoying it well enough to tune in um, for me yeah. says something because I wasn't looking forward to it. I hated the second movie. Um, so oh, let's not even discuss the movie. <laughs> I, it's too for me. No, no, no. Yeah. And I mean, 
with Carrie Big, the relationship, it was stupid. She should have never, like, there's so many things. I was cursing at the screen and it was bad. Yeah. It was really, really bad. The whole storyline, the shoes, the everything, it was just stupid. So, I mean, so we've, had, come... we've had five seasons of Insecure to carry us yeah. forward into the glorious future of women's programming. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? We no longer have to rely on Sex and the City to be the, the people that give us those stories. At you know, all. we have Harlem, Run the World, The Game is yeah. Back, you know. That's a show I never really got into. I tried. But I just couldn't. I, don't I know mean, well, that's but a whole Harlem, other episode because that's a deeply problematic show that I also watch without fail. Okay. And I've seen all three iterations of it now. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, the Akils are interesting writers, storytellers. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll talk about them uh, another time. I want to uh, tune people into our format. Um, so we do a check-in every time you come in with us. We'll start with something positive after check-in. You know, check-in may not be positive all the time, folks. You know, we humans, <laughs> we ain't always having great days. You know, we might have to have a little sippy sip before we get started on the show in order to get through the show. You just never know what's going on in our lives. We just bring it right every on. two weeks to try to be consistent. So y'all don't talk about us too bad on social media about how we're not consistent about displaying the podcast show, which you can catch every other Saturday after 3 p.m. Don't be hitting us up Saturday morning talking about where my show. <laughs> um, don't try it. Uh, um, like you, I am a big binger, um, though I have posted recently that after 40, we all have a genetic um, default that kicks in where we want to watch mystery and crime show procedurals like Mima and um, checking out Matlock and <laughs> Law and & Order and Murder, She Wrote. I am watching the updated equivalents of those, um, often through British mystery shows and crime shows. Um, so that's my bag. I, um, I'm always like, I think I would want to live there. And then I'm like, but it's so dreary. And other than the cute beaches, I'm not really sure there's some place I want to be, not to mention the rampant racism that also goes on there. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I've been binging on uh, those shows. Um, so our format is loving it, it's complicated, hate it, um, hated it, or not hated it. What do we say? Well, just we, no, just no. Just no is what we landed on, not, not hated it. That feels a little bit too gay even for me. Um, that is just no. <laughs> Um, and then we'll go with the stories that you give us. Uh, obviously we've only just put out the request for stories, so we won't have any for this episode, but we will be, um, making sure in future episodes that we have them. You can also like, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, obviously the more of those we have, the more longevity this podcast has for potential. Um, and you can catch us every other week the week that we don't share our podcast on Twitter spaces, we'll announce the time and um, what we're going to be talking about, or we might just wing it because um, it's not going to be the podcast show. We don't have to be all polished and polite. We can be ratchet and <laughs> train ourselves um, on that. So check us out on Twitter spaces. You can also find us on all things under at Gibson Gazette. That's G I P as in Paul S O N Gazette, Gibson Gazette. 
um, with the et symbol in front of it. Uh, we are a Gen X program, so I hope that you Gen Xers know about the ad and the Gibson Gazette and be able to just add that to all your Instagrams, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you're watching us or listening to us on. Uh, find us and tell your friends about us. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Why don't you set us off so people can stop hearing my voice, which you're loving it for this week. My loving it. Okay, so guys, I'm going to go a little, you know, with a little feel-good uh, story, which everybody's uh, talking about. It was from last year. Actually, it's been from previous years, but last year we heard that this amazing story is actually going to be um, is actually going to be in a uh, produces a movie on Netflix, and I'm talking about the Thanksgiving dinner text messages that went back and forth between Wanda Dench and Jamal Hinton. I think there's I think that's so dope. I mean, it, it goes to show you that there's still some goodness in the world because sometimes I'm telling you, as we all know. <laughs> with everything that's been transpiring for the past few years and not even just the past few years, but just life in general. Right. (laughs) Jesus. So it's always nice to hear a feel good story. And um, I'll give you the the short, you know, synopsis. Uh, I believe it was Wanda who was texting. um, She was texting somebody else. She thought she was texting a friend and she ended up changing the last number on the phone number and it ended up texting Jamal. So he was inviting the person over for Thanksgiving dinner. Jamal said, "Um, who is this? And she said, it's your grandma. And then he said, no, this ain't my grandma when he saw saw her picture because he's black and she's white. So he said, but can I still get a plate though? And she said, sure, come on over. And it's been five years now we've been doing this, I think. yeah, I think, I think I think it's about five years that they've been doing it. Unfortunately, the husband had passed. He passed away last year, um, but they're still going strong. And now Jamal's girlfriend goes to the Thanksgiving dinners with him. And I think that's beautiful. That's awesome. So I love it. It makes me warm and fuzzy, and I like warm and fuzzy. <laughs> so this is where we depart. <laughs> it... it it's not that it's not warm and fuzzy. The show, I mean, the, the whole thing was very cute. And I remember thinking, it's oh, it's that was cute, the first year that they did it. And then when they kept doing it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know that I would have spent my every Thanksgiving. Well, I mean, to me, thanks, so first of all, outside of my birthday, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. So let me just say that. And not okay. the col- colo- no, colonial version of thanksgiving i'm definitely not celebrating no pilgrims i'm definitely not celebrating no genocide <laughs> right like i'm not you know i'm not celebrating the smallpox blankets it's not what we're doing here um right i am i but i do like how black people you know how we remix everything we have remixed and um, made thanksgiving our own thing about bringing together mm-hmm. family and friends and nurturing each other with food and lots of hearty laughter and shared stories and that part of it, I always love, um, especially the food, because dressing is one of my favorite f- foods of all things, of all the foods. And um, give me some good dressing, some good greens. Yes, God. Anyway, mac and cheese. All right, I'm digressing. I have yes. a fat boy moment. Um, yeah, I'm so. I'm going to need you to break I, dressing and, 
and stuff that they know <laughs> one time in the future. Okay. No, 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 not yeah. stuffing. No, no, not stuffing. We're not white. I know. We, I knew cornbread dressing. Yeah, cornbread dressing. Anyway. Uh, okay. <laughs> but so Thanksgiving is, to me, a time to be spent with your uh, loved ones and the people who you are kind of closest to. And um, so I find it interesting. I mean, I definitely get new friendships and new traditions, but I, I, I just couldn't imagine spending my every Thanksgiving with this new friends, family um, over my own. That's yeah. I don't, I don't get that. I mean, though, I don't know enough about his personal story. Maybe he's not close to his family. Maybe he need, you know, maybe it's a chosen family situation. You know, there's lots of right. different things that could contribute right. to that. Um, that, yeah. you know, and, and let's be real. The holidays is not the same for everybody. For some of us, the holidays are, a time of incredible trauma and pain, right? And so, um, you know, who knows what his story is that where he finds home, where he finds comfort, where he finds joy is in this former stranger's home <laughs> for Thanksgiving. Um, well, they become yeah. strangers now, right? So if it, Yeah, if they're it definitely not strangers right? at this point. Yeah. Right, right. Every Thanksgiving. Every Thanksgiving. Everything. That's their thing. That's their thing. And now, still don't know how you make a whole movie out of that, unless we're going to go into depth about why these people needed each other, right? Like, is there a connection story about what they found missing in their own lives through this relationship or through this friendship? Now, that I'm here for. That would be interesting to see. It has to be within just. Skimming the top. Uh, I don't know. Otherwise, where, where's this playing? Is this a Hallmark channel? Because if it's a Hallmark channel, we can hang it up. <laughs> it, it ain't gonna get no no in depth. It's gonna be some problematic racial thing. Of, you know, some white savior thing. I don't know. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be right. It's not gonna be right. No, if we're talking about Hallmark Channel, it's not going to be right. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) All right. So that's your loving it for this week. That's my loving it for this week. All right. So my loving it for this week is... So I'm going to talk about one of the things that I love. So right now I'm loving Abbott Elementary. It's an American mockumentary sitcom television series created by Quinta Brunson for ABC. Um, It stars Brunson as a second grade teacher at Abbott Elementary. Uh, Tyler James Williams from Everybody Loves Chris is who played Chris in that show is in it. Janelle James, who plays this principal who steals every scene she's in. She's absolutely hilarious. Uh, The great dream girl herself, Cheryl Lee Ralph, is in it in a very believable, we all know this character, Christian woman um, who loves her husband, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and Lisa Ann Walter and Chris Perfetti. That's how we say his name, Perfetti. Um, so, it, you know, it just launched about, by the time you hear this podcast, about three episodes will have aired. Um, I found all three incredibly hilarious and is talking about um, really passionate, dedicated teachers who, um, led by a principal who's not as passionate or dedicated, um, who are brought together in a Philadelphia public school 
trying to help their students succeed against every structural obstacle that you can imagine. Um, and it, they managed to find the humor in that. And I thought that was amazing. But that's the thing I love. And as part of a renaissance that we're seeing, right, and having great Black mm-hmm. comedies come back, Black, great Black yeah. story coming back as a whole in the media. You know, we have cycles. We had a cycle in the 70s. We had a cycle in the 90s. We're having another cycle right now. Um, which begs a question, should we still be hung up about stereotypes if there are so many more images and representations of Blackness to balance out those kind of flat characters and stereotypes that historically we found issue with? You know, particularly when we know those stereotypical people can be found in real life, right? Like, we actually know, like, when I watch Janelle James do this principal character, I'm like, I know that woman. <laughs> right? Like, and she's hilarious, but, you know, I could see some woke, not woke, because then I'm going to sound like a Republican on Fox News. You know, I could see some... Um, people having taking issue, some critics taking issue with this idea of this black woman principal who is so completely inept, so completely out of her depth and does not care that she's inept or out of her depth and, and is not even aware <laughs> that she's uh, inept and out of her depth, right? Like, um, who is, a you know, is hilarious. She's the comic relief. Um, but, you know, I could hear people saying, you know, making comments about this kind of character um, uh-huh. being very flat and stereotypical and what are we saying about black women in leadership? You know, I, I could hear some of those oh, people oh, having okay. those issues oh, with okay. it, right? But, right. you know, so, you know, I've, I've talked, what are your thoughts about this? You know, to me, I will say that there's a difference in depictions rooted in anti-blackness and whose purpose it is to reinforce an oppressor's story or narrative about our inhumanity. You know, Marlon Riggs documentaries like Ethnic Notions and Color Adjustment, as well as the scholarship of people like Donald Bogle on the subject in film and television, do great jobs of naming and identifying potentially harmful archetypes, right? Um, however, just as often it seems to me that we what gets dismissed as stereotypes of buffoonery are character types that we all know from in our community and are embarrassed by. You know, we're not embarrassed when it's amongst each other, but we are embarrassed when outsiders of our community see those people or see those people presented on a on a mainstream stage. Um, so what's, what's your thoughts on that? As soon as you said that, well, number one, I haven't watched Abbott Elementary as yet, and I do intend to. Um, just the, the, the trailers that I've seen have been absolutely hilarious. So I said, okay, I got to give this one a shot. Um, as you were talking about the stereotypes of, you know, the first person that came to mind was Medea and Tyler Perry. I mean, that that's that's exactly what came to mind. And then um, right away, I went to. I remember when this whole conversation started, when um, Tyler Perry started doing Medea, and then we started having to talk about Flip Wilson when he was playing his character, um, and I can't remember her name. But what he was playing, because I remember these, these these shows, my parents watching these shows, and I just sit down. I'm like, like Flip and Wilson and, jo- and Geraldine. Geraldine, yes, yes, Geraldine, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, all of the conversations that stem from that, and you're absolutely correct in the sense that we're we're just we're not comfortable 
especially not even just us, but when people outside of our community are peering in because it's something we know and we understand. So it's personal to us. But when it's people outside and it's for everyone to consume, we're like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, that's where we want to step back and kind of guard that part um, of, of, of what we know and who we know. Because everybody knows somebody like a, a Tyler Perry Medea. I mean, I think we just we have a lot of issues with just Tyler on the whole and his, his writing and different things. We, some of us undercover love some of his movies. They just don't want to say it. There are a couple of them that might be actually a little bit okay. I won't say decent. Okay. But, you know, I mean, it's a whole other conversation, but still. I'm going to tell you, know, we, we can spend a whole episode <laughs> devoted to just Tyler Perry. Right. And I those who follow me on this. social media already know my thoughts on this. <laughs> That's a full-out conversation, yes. you know? But that was the first thing that, that came to me. And, uh, yeah, we just we don't like other people in our business. This is just how we flow. So, um, in but terms I guess... of... Uh... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, You're that's saying? okay. It's gone. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> See, now the people going to write me because I didn't cut you off and you don't like the thought. See, it's terrible. Um, Look, uh, you know, I guess the question I have is the issue before, and it was a valid issue, was that these Mm. archetypes were the only, right? They were the only depictions of us. And different eras had different archetypes that were the onlys. And now Mm. we're in an age where it, that's less true. I mean, that's not to say that we're in a promised land and that, you know, we have all the representations and a range of stories and, and characters that we need mm-hmm. to have to show the fullness of Black people. That is, you know, a promised land to come. But we, at this moment, have Black horror, Black thrillers, Black comedy, Black, mm-hmm. you know, romance, Black holiday movies. I'd have never thought in a million years Black holiday movies would become this, this, ama- this yeah. thing, but there's like 20 of them a year now. Um, you know, and so do we need to be as hyper vigilant about the policing of characters that are flat? Um, you know, and, and other creative writers will know what I mean by flat characters, you know, those characters that are really just one thing, right? They're kind of one note characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, versus round characters. Every character can be round in a story, it pulls focus. Um, and sometimes, like in the case of this principle she brings a certain amount of levity and absurdity to, and she actually brings the satire, right? Like, so these teachers are trying really hard and it's not like she's an obstacle, but she's not a help really either. Though there is an episode where she ends up being a help through her ridiculousness, right? Like through her absurdity, Um, you know, which is less intentional on her part, (laughs) right? But, But ends up being comical. So, you know, I guess, you know, now that we have much more room for there to be a more of a range of expression of who we are as a people, do we need to be yeah. quite as concerned or as hyper vigilant about the stereotype? I'm I'm curious about what you want to know, and I actually want the uh, people to comment. Feel free to comment in the comment section on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We love your thoughts. But um, so, what are your thoughts on that? I don't. I don't really. I don't think we do. 
I think that um, it may sound, it may sound a little, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't think we do. I think that you had mentioned that there's just, there's so much to write about, but we still, I think there still needs to be balance. Like, like there's always going to be space for that. And it's a little bit of um, the chance to be comfortable, I guess. Um, that's there as the buffer. It'll it'll be there. I think it's something that we know and it'll continue as we go along. But at the same time, there's like a, a treasure trove of things to write about. We're very multifaceted. It starts to come out in different ways. I don't think that we need to be as vigilant as before. And especially as um, like people like Issa Rae and a lot of up and coming uh, creatives are kicking down the door and they're doing it their way. Because, you know, we're looking at, if you look at Issa from Awkward Black Girl, I loved, I would like sit at my computer to we watch all, Awkward did. Black Girl. We all did, right? And then yeah. when we heard, oh, she's going to HBO, we're like, oh my God, she's getting a platform where she'll be able to actually just open up the Pandora's box and go with it and run with it. And that's exactly what she did. But you can easily say that you saw yourself in Issa. And that's like the good times, the bad times, the stupid times where you're like, oh my God, she did that. Oh my God, she cheated on what on, on Lawrence. Oh my God. Like those are all the things that we go through and we know and understand. So we see it. It's our reflection. So I don't think we really have that to to worry about. Um unless we start we we just continue with just that line of thinking if it's just going to be narrow moving forward then we have an issue and i think that's like a a, a discussion that um showrunners and writers would have to have with themselves you know and and take a look around themselves to see what's going on right but all in all i, also I think, think it depends really on who gets to sell the story right like if it's a white person that's telling the story that's and it. they're making that depiction about a black stereotype, then I'm I'm certainly gonna get my back up a lot sure. more. Because yeah. to me, then that's fitting into the agenda of anti-blackness as a depiction intentionally yeah. intentionally or unintentionally meant to harm or be biased about who we are. But when mm-hmm. we are sharing, you know, and, and and some of this is the critique of Tyler Perry, right? Like when we're sharing flat characters, I think the issue with Tyler Perry for me is that do those characters ever get to be round, right? Are they always almost all flat? Are they almost always one or two things in, in, in very cartoonish ways? Um, but yeah, I mean, but if we have one character that is um, a comic relief character to bring a certain amount of levity or to bring a point and it's contextual to the story and it makes sense for the story, it's not an right. outlier um, and it's rooted in something real, I mean, I, I think one of the reasons I, I've not yet heard the critique about Janelle that I brought to, to bear is because we, we so know her. <laughs> we so know this principle, um, especially if you're an educator, you know this woman. Um, so, yeah, so that that's it. But I'm loving Abbott Elementary and um, I'm loving the things that is helping us to think about, um, you know, because it's quietly encouraging people to be invested in their public schools. And I think that that's always a message that's worth encouraging. Yeah, 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 that's fantastic. All right, so that was our Loveness segment. 
and uh, we're going to switch it over now to it's complicated. So what are you yeah, finding complicated? No, nah, it's got to be talking a lot. I like to hear your voice. So, um, oh. I know, right? <laughs> so what's your it's complicated for us this week? It's complicated. Okay, so this one I pulled out of um, a personal slash speaking to other people about their stories kind of vibe. Um, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this ad nauseum, be kind, you never know what someone is going through. I, a lot of people, we've been saying that a lot, especially over the, the, the pandemic. Um, it's something you always hear in general anyway, but um, I, I've read a lot of articles that are centered like on around this quote. And especially with the fa- the few years and everything that's been, that's with everything that has, my God, what's wrong with my, my, my tongue today? With everything <laughs> that has been transpiring over time, people always, I find that people come forth with the niceties, but then there's this huge, like, black hole of a statement where people come up with, where they're like, oh, you know, um, that's great. Everyone's going through it too. Or like, yeah, I understand your play. Da, 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 da. Everyone is. Okay, listen. Granted, if I'm speaking to you and I'm pouring my heart out to you, of course I know everybody's going through something, but I'm speaking to you or other people are speaking to you directly with their problems. They want to speak to you as a soundboard and as an individual, right? So stop generalizing, let the person speak their piece and understand where the person is coming from. So don't tell me, yeah, I understand that you've got it rough. Other people are going through it too. That's not comforting. It's a little rude, really. <laughs> and there've been quite a lot of people where they're like, oh, you know, I, I was speaking about, you know, what was going on blah, 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 blah. and then somebody was like, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I heard my friend was going through, my, a friend of mine is going through that too. Yeah, just take it easy. And there are other people going through things that we know this, we understand this. Just listen to the person at the moment. It's like we need to stop for a second and really learn to listen and hear and see each other. That's the problem for me. It's a little complicated. I love the niceties. Thank you. But don't start with that and then pull out the rug from underneath me. <laughs> I'm totally Why? hearing the mother in you while you're talking about this this story. You know? <laughs> I, I, I can see your son looking up at mommy while you're explaining in this very patient but not patient tone about this issue. I just I just want I just want the world to see this moment of mommyhood that we're hearing collectively on here. Uh go ahead as you were, as you were. No, I I just I just feel like as usual like we tend to we hear but we don't listen. That's what it comes down to sometimes. I think and I'm not being like I I don't want to be uh I don't want to sound selfish or that um, I'm, you know, being a, a naysayer to like other people's plights or anything like that. It, that's not the case. I'm just saying that sometimes people just want to talk to you in, in it individually want you to listen to their stories and that's it. 
that's it. That's all. We totally get there are a lot of things going on. My goodness, there are so many things going on. But just, you know, just listen. That's all. That's all. Just be a soundboard. That's so I, I have a different take. I think this is going to be the Go show, ahead. right? I have a different take. I mean, I, I think that the... I think what people are trying to do is connect, right, and, and and display empathy. Now, whether or not that's always authentic or performative, you know, that's a, a conversation for another day. And I think that you all you kind of innately know when people are performing empathy versus when they are sincere about it. Well, that's sure. you know, but that said, like if somebody's shared something horrible, I think it's human nature to want to be like, oh my god, I'm ha- I've I've had that experience too, or I know somebody who's had that experience too as a reflexive form of empathy, you know, or, or connection, it, it doesn't always land. Um, I also think that mm-hmm. we have been conditioned, at least on the West, I don't know about other cultures, but I know in the West, I think we've been conditioned to feel like mm-hmm. we're supposed to provide a, a solution to the problem that's been shared um, or provide some kind of answer to it. And as you just pointed out, sometimes people don't want a solution. They just want to be heard and for somebody yeah, to be present yeah. for their wit, you know, bear witness to their moment. And um, and that's really it. But so one of the things I've, I've learned to do as a friend, because I'm a Capricorn and I'm a man and I am solutions oriented. And these are problems in the communication issues that you describe. Right. So I will ask, you know, if somebody's about to go into a tirade of complaint, and I know this is a person who likes to complain, I have friends like that. Um, I'll ask them, you know, do you want me to just listen to you and be present for you? Or are you looking for me to give you feedback? And mm. um, and that's something that's been modeled for me really beautifully by my mentors, you know, such as Dr. Tim Harrison, um, you know, when I was very young when working with him. And, you know, he never gave me unsolicited advice. I always had to ask him for it, which is so different from my peers. My peers always gave me unsolicited advice and I always had to, like, pull it from him as he was, like, the smartest person I knew at the time. Right. So I um, so I've, I've borrowed that from him. Like, you know, is this a moment where you just need me? And then I had a friend tell me once. Uh, the friend that likes to, one of my friends that likes to complain. I'm not going to name him because he'll know who he is in this, uh, you know. Bitch, I just want to complain right now. Just, just listen to me complain, <laughs> right? I don't need you to fix it. I just want to complain. And I was like, wow. oh, okay. And then I, it clicked. I got it. I was like, oh, this person is not, he just wants, he just needs to get it out. And that's his process. And once he's gotten it out, he's fine. And, you know, so you learn about your friends as you go. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, if there are tools that people need, you know, ask someone, you know, you, do you looking for feedback or are you just looking for presence? I think that that's, um, and, and people will be candid with you. They, they might be shocked that you even asked them that, right, and that you were um, considerate enough to ask them that. So I, that's, yeah. that's the way I look at it. I don't always look at it as people are but doing I, I the like, most. I like that aspect. I, I don't. It's not a thing. It's not about like doing the most. I think that um, you said it too as well. It's how it lands, and mm-hmm. it's how um, it's the communication barrier sometimes, and the fact that sometimes 
that could actually make somebody uncomfortable and they don't know how to respond. I went through that so much, especially when my, when my dad passed away. So, you know, it, it's a difficult time when, when, and people want to comfort you, but sometimes it doesn't come out right. So it's, you know, it's either you really want to try to add some levity to the moment and you just don't want to complicate things and then bleh, you get diarrhea of the mouth and it comes out and it doesn't land properly. I almost cuss out somebody on my dad's funeral day because of that. So it, it, it you know, it, it just doesn't land right. You said it right there. That's what it is sometimes. It's, yeah, it's not about doing too much. I, I, I just think that it's the, the landing and, and uh, the communication and the hearing and listening. No, but I think there's, so, I mean, to me, there's kind of like the day-to-day experience of wanting to vent, right? Like, which is where I thought you were coming from at first. And 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 I think that that's different than moments of grief. So uh, the day after this podcast airs will be the ninth anniversary of my mother's death. Um, I've talked very candidly about my mother's transition um, okay. as it was a suicide. And, um, you know, in my process when that happened was I had a conversation. I literally had a conversation with myself the day it, I heard it about what happened. And it was, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to try my best not to catch nobody out. <laughs> I'm going to assume that people are trying to come from a good place, but people don't know what to say out their mouth during grief. Yes. We don't have good yeah. tools. We don't have good language. Um, you know, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be sick of all of the, I'm so sorry for your lost condolences. I actually yeah. actively avoid trying to say that when responding to people's death, because I heard it so much. I heard it about 500 times on Facebook by itself. And, and every one of those people were well wishing and, and, and trying to be of comfort. And I appreciated okay. the fact that they even took the time, but you know, by your 500th one of those, you know, that's not even counting the verbal ones you get on the phone and the text messages and the people who know you personally, um, you know, that can get into, you know, somebody like me who's lived in lots of places and know lots of people from lots of fields. It just, it can become very overwhelming. And so I just had to be like, I'm going to give everybody grace. I don't want to come out of this with new enemies. I don't want to come out of this with new problems you know that was one thing that was like i don't want to pick up an alcohol problem or a drug problem from in order to avoid the grief i'm going to walk through the grief i'm going to go through the process and um but yeah going back to the language conversation like people don't have the tools they don't know what to say and i just and you find yourself and everybody who's lost a parent or lost somebody really significant to them know this you find yourself giving more energy trying to comfort the person than you do than them comforting you <laughs> right, and so that also but was a, a work. It was it to be a buffer, though. Do you know what I mean? Was it to be a buffer in between what you would end up receiving because it was so overwhelming? I don't know. Like it, know. it just you know, I'm a I'm somebody who's keenly sensitive to energy vampires, and not everybody was doing that was energy vampire. But you know, I'm aware of when I'm giving more energy out in a moment where I should be receiving the energy, right? The, the energy should be nurturing a salve, a bomb, and that wasn't what was happening. I was nurturing them 
Um, yeah. and, and some of it, again, is they don't know what to say. They're awkward. They're, they might have also, you know, loved or cared about my mother and, or knew of her. And, you know, they're having their own grief moment. Um, yeah. But you're like in the back of your head, you're like, but I'm, I'm the son. That was my mama. It ain't, it ain't, no matter what you're going through, it ain't, it ain't the same. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? But yeah. of course, you know, to yeah. say that would be to be an asshole. But, you know, that, that's what you're thinking in the back of your head at the time. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, this is a perfect example of it's complicated, right? Like, I just tried yeah. to give yeah. grace as much as possible. I only lost it once. And um, I'm not going to go into depth about this, but there were people who couldn't make the first memorial, uh, which was like kind of done very quickly and decided to have a second memorial for my mother back in Chicago, where we're from, where she hadn't lived for like 20 years um, and wanted me and my brothers and sisters to go through that again. Oh, and, no, no. Yeah. And I was like, y'all lost yeah. your mind. <laughs> like yeah. I was the one time I, I lost it. I kirked on people. Like we not we 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 barely made it through the first one. We definitely not doing no no second one. So there is a whole memorial that was videotaped where me and none of my siblings are there. Uh, my mother's children are there for it because we just were like oh y'all gosh. crazy. We can't we can't go through that twice. Once was difficult enough, not twice. Once is so. enough. I'm sorry. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. My my father's anniversary is coming up as well at the end of the month. So I I yeah. 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 So my it's complicated. Oh. Hopefully we'll lighten the mood because we done brought it down, child. We done brought it all into the grief space. Um, but I think that people, you know, a lot of people lost people in 2021 and 2020, and they can also appreciate this conversation. So we're not always going to be light and funny on this show. Uh, my yeah. it's complicated is we have Kings of Napa on OWN, which is about a wealthy black vineyard owning family um our kind of people which is about rich upper middle class black people um who are legacies of black wealth um and black soap operas coming left and right that depict black wealth black luxury hyper consumerism and capitalistic investment at a time when those things are being deeply interrogated and deconstructed for their potential value to combat or shield one from racism, oppression, othering, and criticism from the status quo. You know, so, you know, these shows are great. These, you know, well, not all of them are great because the quality varies. <laughs> the quality varies a lot on these kind of luxury black soaps. Um, but they kind of dovetail with what's happening on Instagram, where you're seeing the hashtag movement around black luxury and black people in exotic locales and opening gifts and you know presents and that are chanel bags and birkin bags and gucci belts and you know deeply aspirational um couture and you know so it, it begs the question what are the messages we're sending through this these aspirational shows and black luxury hashtag movement about the haves and have nots when most black people, regardless of educational attainment, are a paycheck or two away from disaster, <laughs> right? Like oh, when most black people, you know, who does this narr- luxury narrative in the mainstream serve at a time when black people are finally getting audiences articulating a range of all too real financial oppressions, finally getting audiences about reparations, 
pointing out racial privilege differences and disparities, saying the issues of the haves and have nots are system systemic and institutional and structural. But then you turn on your TV and we bossing and we balling and we in five thousand dollars worth of clothes and shoes and you know, and some of this conversation, I'm you know, we're going to always name check folks who we are borrowing from. Some of this conversation is inspired by black feminists like Kim Foster. Um, and we name checked Demetria Lucas, who's an amazing podcaster and um, friend in my head. <laughs> and we've talked before and I've, I've guested on her show before. Demetria's amazing. Um, but, you know, Kim has brought some of this up in a recent uh, podcast or uh, YouTube of her own. Right. Like and like me, she doesn't begrudge black folks liking, loving, even consuming nice things. Um, I resemble that remark. But there is something about magnifying black wealth stories that is so dissonant with most black people's reality, even though they are and have always been elite wealthy black families. You know, just to bring it back home, the median income for black workers right now with a bachelor's degree, we're not talking about the poor. With a bachelor's degree, it's fifty thousand dollars, compared to sixty-one thousand one hundred seventy-six for white workers, sixty-two thousand two hundred and ninety-two for Asian workers. For those of us with advanced degrees, the black median income only grows to eighty-one thousand five hundred and fifty-nine, while white and Asian professionals earn a hundred and fifteen thousand two hundred and forty. Or 120889 respectively, with that advanced degree. That's how far apart that disparity. You ain't, I know how much a Gucci belt costs, because I used to live that life. I used to live that uh, fake it till you make it life in my 20s, right? <laughs> like, I had, you know, uh, secondhand borrowed from, gifted by wealthier friends and mentors, um, couture shirts and, and belts that were like $500 and shoes that were like $500. And that was in the 90s. Like, I imagine those same things today are probably $1,000 or more, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does it mean that we're like, like, who is this story serving? Is this, is this serving that, us? Go ahead. Do you think that maybe it's a form of escapism? Do you think that, um, I mean, because we, we all love to watch the lavish shows in the house. I mean, look at Housewives of Atlanta. It may not be lavish to some of us, but some other people, I mean, living on, those houses are huge and, and you know, the space and yada, 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 the life and, you know, the parties and it, everything is extra. It's beyond extra and we live for it. We love to see it. Um Maybe that sense of it, it, it doesn't really come down to, oh, I need to buy this bag. It comes down to, um, I just want to escape and wash the shit. <laughs> I just want, you know what I mean? Um, it's nice to see people that look like me dressing up in all of that Gucci business and whatever that I can't afford, but they look hella good. I'm going to watch this show. So maybe it's not, I, I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it. I totally get the hyper consumerism, and yes, definitely. Oh my gosh, they're like plugging all the the Gucci and Prada and Fendi down your throat every two seconds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like they hype in black designers on these shows either. Usually, usually sure. it is the mainstream white aspirational designers whose whose yes, labels sir. are intentionally out of your reach, intentionally out of your right. price range. 
as a normative right. purchase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely correct. Well, they own, hello, hi, and Kings of Napa was actually recorded here in Ontario, since I heard. Um, uh, at a lot of, we have a lot of wineries down here. So um, I, I was told that it was recorded here. And I'm like, um, well, own King of Napa, you know, there are a host of, of amazing black designers out there that you can pick and choose from. I'm not saying you can't wear a Hermes shirt with another black designer's, you know, belt and shoes and purse. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody puts an outfit together. But at least, you know, show up a little bit for your peoples, man. You know, call up Issa. She can give you all some notes. Yeah, Issa did a really good job of of, of showing uh, and demonstrating a litany of black designers. I actually don't know enough about yeah. the stylists at uh, Kings of Napa to be able to make that critique to say that they're not. But I think that there's this kind of an overall trend, like even on reality shows like Selling Tampa, um, there's a new uh, real estate show that's on OWN, too, that just launched last week or so. Um, and, the, you know, okay. they're all kind of bossing and flossing, right? And, and and those people are actually making that kind of money, right? They're not, it's not like yeah. a scripted show where, you know, it's all kind of fantasy. The, these folks in, in these reality shows are actually earning um, significant money. Now, not initially, we know from Mona Scott Young, like the Mona Scott Young productions, we know that those people were not making <laughs> that much money <laughs> on those shows starting out. Like, even on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, it took a while for oh, them to start making a significant amount. I mean, now, some of them are making like a million dollar, 1.2, 1.4 million dollar checks, $800,000 checks a year. Right. Um, but you know, not every reality show is starting with that. Most of them starting like thirty five hundred dollars an episode, five thousand dollars an episode, right? The entire franchise, every one of them, right? So, yeah. um, but yeah, but I, I, but there is an interest. It's the timing is interesting. I'm not saying we shouldn't see. Um, I mean, one of the things about our kind of people is that it was originally supposedly based on a book, even though it has no no relationship at all to the book on this in this depiction but lawrence otis graham wrote a book about um the black elite and the black wealthy um people who have been depicted in dorothy west novels back in the Harlem renaissance era you know generations of black wealth um shamari willis has a great book about the first six black millionaires um called black fortunes i mean and so that there's there, there is a legacy of black people of means even through the worst of our times but I do think that there's right. something interesting about this particular time when we're talking very publicly, Black Lives Matter and other advocacy groups are talking very um, publicly about racial disparities and income disparities and how much of that is informed by structural and institutional racism. And then on the other side of this, we're showing we're, we're depicting all of this black luxury and the black wealth. And, you know, and if I'm a white person who's not necessarily tuned into the, the readings and I'm only seeing the, the visuals those two things yeah. are mathing, you know. I right. mean, black people have always liked to good, look good, so that you know, let's also put that out there, right? Like, but it wasn't a label look good, it was our style and how we put things together. And and we could go, I mean, Philly is internationally known as folks going to a thrift store and coming out looking like they spent five thousand dollars on an outfit based right. on some thrift store garb, just based on how they 
you know, they work their swag with it. So, you know, us wanting and needing and desiring to look good is not new. Um, But yeah, there's, there's definitely an interrogation to be made and had about the timing of this particular depiction of blackness when we wasn't allowed to have these kind of depictions before. And uh, right when we're politically and socially trying to have an audience for some very real economic disparities. So that's my it's complicated. You got any other thoughts on that before we close out? It's complicated. No, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. All right. So here we go. So we purposely, (laughs) purposely (laughs) set up the show in a way that if only you want the good and the sweet, you you start our early part of it, you might want to not listen to the just know, because the just know is us. talking about the shit we hate and probably using foul language and not being very Christian. Um, so, uh, my just know, I'll, I'll start our just know and see what you thought, think about it. Um, Steve Harvey recently came out against cancel culture saying that he was afraid to make comedy and that other comedians that he's in relationships with are afraid to make comedy because of cancel culture. Um, and I just want to call bullshit. <laughs> I want to, like, this is a Fox News uh, depiction, and y'all probably going to hear me say this a lot, because, you know, we sometimes adopt some of the language of the right and the language of oppressors in our arguments about things. This cancel culture, first of all, what they're calling cancel culture is marginalized people primarily femmes or queer and or queer people finally having an audience to push back on oppressive language about the bodies that we're born into um and the identities that we are um embracing right and sometimes it's about uh not wanting to be harmed right physically harmed sexually harmed emotionally harmed mentally harmed um and that pushback against harm is being diminished reduced dis- dismissed as um cancel culture right like and some of these people have not just done kind of verbal harm that could have repercussions in how those things get co-signed and affirmed within the culture by community by other people who are looking for affirmations so that they too can perpetuate harm but also by um, there actually real physical sexual harm that has been done by some of these comedians um, that have been called out through the YouTube, Me Too movement. You know, Louis C.K. was called out for allegedly allegedly masturbating in front of women. You know, um, that he said he was going to mentor was or offering opportunities to, and he didn't pulling out his dick in front of them, right? And Louis C.K. lost some things initially, but he is right now, in 2021, he went on tour. Like, he had a a comeback tour, and people bought tickets, and those tickets weren't cheap. He is not canceled. And he actually committed harm. (laughs) Like, he actually committed a sexual harm, an offensive harm. You know, so... And then we talk about like folks like a, a, a Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is experiencing one of his biggest years. He's 
in movie after movie on Netflix. He he hasn't lost anything. He didn't he didn't get a chance to uh, host the Oscars. Boohoo! Right. Like he's still a multimillionaire. He still has respect in the industry. He still is afforded opportunities. Um, and then, of course, there's Dave Chappelle, which I have gone off in ad nauseum about both on other podcasts and and I was and I own almost every Dave Chappelle thing there is to own outside of the Netflix specials. Um, so, I, you know, I came to Dave Chappelle as a fan. But um, as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I am <laughs> deeply offended, um, both as a gay man and for my trans sisters the language and the, and the comments that were made on The Closer. Um, and I recognize that I am not the arbiter of all things LGBTQ+, that there are plenty of LGBTQ plus people who did not have an issue with what Dave Chappelle said. But plenty did. And um, But Dave Chappelle has not been canceled. He still cleared $60 million checks. He still is getting opportunities. He's still getting articles written about him. He's not missed one step. And he jokingly said that if this was cancel culture, he should have been canceled a long time ago because he's economically benefited so much from the cancellation. So, you know, Steve Harvey is full of shit. These black comics who are complaining about cancel culture are full of shit. Cat Williams, who said, you know, we should have, um, what do you call it? Roadblocks. We should have some bumpers. We should have some stops. Um, about the harm that we're doing as comedians. We should be going deeper and punching up more. We should be thinking about what we're saying. Um, and he hasn't stopped being funny. His last special was hilarious. He hasn't stopped getting arena tours. Um, so, you know, the question is, are you just not talented enough to meet the new objectives, the new culture, the new standards of comedy today? Um, and if you're not, just say yeah. that. Don't blame it on cancel culture. Blame it on your lack of talent. Just say no. <laughs> Do you see Steve Harvey ble blaming himself or coming out to say, I am just not that talented in order to get what I want to get? Yeah, that's not. I mean, know. he's graduated he's to like family TV shows. Nobody, mm -hmm. you know, he's a game show host and a judge now on some. I still can't believe anybody bringing their cases. Really. To Steve Harvey, <laughs> like I would, I would, I would eat my arm before I would take a case to Steve Harvey. But um, yeah, you know that's what people are. You know, nobody checking for a new Steve Harvey comedy. Nobody was like clamoring, like, "Oh my God, I really miss Steve Harvey as a comedian." Thank you very much. Because really and truly, after um, Kings of Comedy, um, yeah, no, I'm good. That's it. Stops there. I don't think that he's really put out anything, you know, of, 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 you know, content <laughs> or anything like that for us to be like, oh my God, like he's coming out with a judge show. I can't wait to see it. I have to DVR it. It's not going to happen. And when I, and when I read about the judge show, I said, when did he become a judge? He's been too busy social media in all of his outfits. He, when, when did that happen? Like, we don't want to see that. I mean, well, it kind of happened because Kelly Clarkson took his slot for his daytime talk show. <laughs> I mean, and Kelly, she's doing and, right, and she did excellent with his his time slot. I still like. I would love to know the inside Hollywood story about how that went down, because you know, like Steve Harvey, or not he has a following, and 
people were checking out his show. It was a highly rated show, and they still gave it yeah, to Kelly right. Clarkson. <laughs> Well, wasn't he doing? Wasn't didn't, um, there was a lot of talk of him doing some really like bad shit behind the scenes and stuff. Like his crew wasn't too happy. Like there were some letters and all kind. There was a whole bunch of drama. I don't. I, that, from that's what I remember anyway. I mean, so, all I of that might be true. I I don't put anything past a Steve Harvey. I mean, he has a very you know inspirational story of his rags to riches and yes. you know and God yeah. bless you know, that he was able to pull that together for himself and his family. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Steve Harvey has always been problematic as a comic. You know, I never, and I never watched the Steve Harvey show back in the 90s, so even though I had my girl in it, I still was, like, not checking for it. <laughs> All right, so what are your thoughts on Just Know, and what is your Just Know, AMC? Um, People might scream at me for this one, but I mean, it's it's so damn obvious. Let, let's talk a little bit about Chris Cuomo. Can we please? Can we? Um, oh, okay. My, now that almost feels like a throwback story at this point, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But it, it has a little twist because my, my question really. So, okay, let's go back. You know, obviously he was fired from his highly rated CNN gig. Well, and before you do his, that, um, you might want to let the people know who Chris Cuomo is because, you know, I know... Everybody should know who these people are, but they may not know. So, Chris Cuomo is a, or excuse me, past tense, was a, was a very popular, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? News, anchor, news anchor. Uh, anchor, I guess, yeah, news mm-hmm. anchor on CNN. He had a very highly rated show. People tuned into him, loved him. Love the banter that him and Don Lemon used to have. I must say it was very like friendly and chill and cool and it was it was nice to watch. It was nice to watch. It was very um, um amorous and and what's it called? Bro romance going on thing thing going on. It was really, really nice to see. Fine. Um but he went and um kind of supported his um sexual predator of a brother and a, a governor, please. Um, yes, Governor Mario Cuomo. Yes. He of ended up um, supporting his brother. Yes, of New York. Ended up supporting his brother with all of the nastiness that he has been doing behind the scenes. Uh, 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 let's just say that those are allegations. You're trying to be sued. Allegedly, this. there are some stories of some Me Too moments <laughs> with this with this brother. <laughs> and so he and his brother Listen, they've they've just they they've been on it, okay? They've been on it. So Chris now put himself in a position where he ended up supporting his brother when it, I believe, clearly stated in CNN's um, rules and regulations that um, family and personal matters take a back seat, and everything journalistic takes a front seat because this is your job. This is what you do. Uh, Chris went against that, ended up helping his brother write some press releases or whatever that were in favor of his brother and supporting his brother during this crisis. 
So in turn, fast forward, he ended up getting fired from that. He ended up getting fired from from his highly rated show on CNN. He ended up getting fired from uh, his radio show on wow. Sirius, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I just, I, I was sitting down thinking about relationships, um, family relationships, or familiar, yeah, and um, and and how far you would actually go for a family member but in this case i guess like your siblings because you know you're really tight with your siblings and some people aren't again as well but um you you have this relationship with your siblings and you want to protect them and you want to see them do well etc etc but uh if your sibling is quote unquote you know being a pedophile or if your sibling is quote-unquote, robbing banks and killing people, uh, are you going to protect their name? Are you that, like, I mean, I think there's um, loyalty to a fault, if you will, and that uh, in this case, I, I, you have a, he had a huge career. Like, I, I just, I, I don't get it. I love, like, my siblings and I are closer than a chocolate chip cookie and a chocolate chip. Like, we are it. Uh, that's my squad. And I would do anything for them. However, I can tell you that my parents did not raise no fool. And that if something like that happened, my mother would look at us and be like, you on your own because I didn't raise you that way. This is, and, and, and that's my mom, no joke. And I really, like, I thought about it because on one side I was like, well, that's that's really not right. That's your kid, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you're like, I instilled everything in you that I could. I raised you a particular way. If that wasn't, you know, enough, and if that, I, I feel like I did my job. If I did not and we went, down a different path somewhere, then yeah. I mean, I leave it to you because this is not how we roll as a family and how we're raised. So I, I just, I had so many questions about that, but it really just came down to me, down to how far would you go to protect your sibling? And I was, I told all of my siblings, I said, I love y'all, but you kill somebody, you know, own it. I'm, I'm not in it for that. Yeah, they can't like, call you with the. You not coming with the shovel? You in the garbage bags and the acid? What's? Uh, oh, I'm, no, I'm actually getting too no. detailed about this. Um, <laughs> like yeah, uh, you right? I know, right? You're not the line in the tub. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, this is maybe the when I was like childless. Yes, maybe. Okay, maybe. so having a baby makes a difference. Yeah, I'm childless, so this makes I can I I definitely can see that. Um, yeah, you know, so my understanding of the the issue with him being fired from CNN is that he had embarrassed his bosses, that there had been some preliminary conversations about what mm -hmm. he was could and couldn't do, or, and that he had not always represented what he was doing accurately or um to um Jeff Zuckerberg and them, and so uh. Yeah, like, and that part of his fire, getting fired was about having publicly embarrassed his bosses because they had defended and backed him initially. Um, and then I guess more came out about how deeply involved yeah. he was in counseling 
his brother around um, this range of sexual improprieties. Um, You know, I think that, you know, you you went for a a big swing with that range, right? Like you went from pedophile to bank robbery. I might not be... I don't know that I care so much about simply... (laughs) If my sibling robbed a bank, I, I might be like... You know, do you got your passport in this country that, that you know, do you can go oh, to a country that don't have extradition? Like, are you on your way? Because um, versus uh, a pedophile situation, I think that that's, that's different. I mean, our child was harmed uh, versus a capitalistic system. They are here. Um, yeah. They are here. They're both of them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no, I can't live looking over my shoulder every two minutes. I don't care about extra this shit. I don't care about that. I will always feel like somebody is looking for me. I will be stressed out and I won't be able to spend this money because with a big they smile. Are, they are, they are looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I mean, that is the thing. I, I, I that is so the thing. I have, um, so I have two sets of siblings. I have my mom's, the children my mother birthed, um, which is a, a, I'm the eldest on both sides. So I'm the the big brother. Um, so I have a younger brother who's now in his late 20s and a sister who's in her mid 30s on my mom's side. And then I have uh, three sisters that I'm close to who are stair steps in their 30s or 40s. Um, and then I have they're missing children because Papa was a Rolling Stone and he don't know where all them children are. So there's like another four who we will find through Ancestry.com or something in the future because I said we found one of them. True story. (laughs) (laughs) And I have good relationships with all but one sister on my mom's side. Uh, But, you know, um, and even that always could be worked on. Um, so, you know, I have had, because I'm the big brother, I have had the hard conversations about morals and ethics and, um, you know, but I've also tried to give grace as somebody who's fucked up. You know, I feel like your 20s is about fucking yeah, up, yeah. All right, Like, and learning right. from those mistakes. Um, right. Like, so I can't be like, oh, be perfect in your 20s and your early 30s while you're still learning. And I know I wasn't. I was definitely making (laughs) ridiculous errors and trying to figure it out. You know, in terms of protecting them, I think it depends on the issue. Uh, I could see Chris Cuomo, you know, thinking I'm counseling him about a press response. I'm counseling him about a public relations response. That's probably not that diff, you know, that big of a deal. I might, you know, we don't know the relationship between Mario and Chris and that he might not, you know, we don't know that he didn't him up his brother and like, what the fuck were you thinking? What the fuck was wrong with you? Like, how could you be doing this, you know, making these kind of errors and judgment around women and their bodies and their bodily autonomy in in this day and yeah. age, knowing that you're knowing that they're after you. You're a Democrat <laughs> in New York. There are always Republicans that's checking for you for you to make the slightest misstep. I'm sure, depending on Chris's yeah. own attitudes about women, you know, who knows what the public versus the private persona is around that, right? Like publicly, he might be like feminist, feminist, feminist. Privately, I mean, he might be a douche. 
We don't know. Um, but I, right. you know, I'm going to say give him benefit of the doubt and say he hemmed up his brother. He had that conversation. And then he did the things that siblings do, which is I'm going to try to protect you after I hem you up. I have hemmed up my siblings on issues and then came up with a fix, came up with the remedy. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say just no on this one. You know, and I can't even say just know that I'm not going to get the shovel and help you have the body. (laughs) But, you know, you tell me you harm the child. It's all, you know, all bets is off. I can't. That's the one thing for me that um, everybody has their their line. And that's my line in the sand. You know, um, tell me you hurt people who are already vulnerable, who are already oppressed, who are already um, easy prey. I, I can't. I can't with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I feel that. Yeah. So yeah. those were our just no. So tell us, people, what you think about our just no. Our it's complicated, and our loving it. We had some very rich, deep conversations with about fifteen minutes longer than we wanted to, but we're figuring it out. We're learning. This was our first chance at the rodeo, um, and yeah. hopefully, uh, talk to us more about the things that you want to see in this podcast. Like, subscribe, share. Please do all three things. Um, at Gibson Gazette, we are on all of the socials, and you can um, subscribe or like us, or like us on all of those. Um, and a website will be launching soon, where you will be able to sign up and subscribe to eBlast. We will also be making transcripts of uh, the show available um, soon. So just know that those things are all coming. We are developing this ship and building this ship as we go. Um, and just grateful yeah. that you're a part of it and checking us out and be on the lookout for us in two weeks. You have anything else to add, AMC? I just want to remind the peoples to please share with us stories you tell. We want to get you engaged. We want to hear from you. Please make sure to share the info with us. And what is our email again? Let's let's blast out our email because we we haven't yes. done that. Uh, the Gibson Gazette at gmail.com. The Gibson Gazette at gmail.com. There also, if you check our Instagram or our Facebook page, you'll see that there's a whole flyer announcing the storyteller um, yeah. request or the call out for storytellers. Um, it's one page or less, folks. Those stories can be about whatever. Um, hopefully there's fun and salacious. Um, they can be what the fuck stories. We only ask that you, um, uh, we, you know, we'll make it anonymous. Even if you won't, <laughs> we'll come up with an alias for you. Even if you don't to protect right. the innocent and the evil, uh, That's and right. just let us know at the end of the story, whether or not it's true or false. That's our little twist on this with whether or not the story we've just shared and responded to is true or false. So please make sure you give us those stories. Again, it's the Gibson Gazette at gmail.com and Gibson is G I P as in Paul S O N. We look forward to hearing and reading your stories next time. Also be checking for us next week on Twitter. Be looking for announcement for when we go to Twitter spaces. Uh, We'll just be doing it. We're doing it randomly. We'll be announcing it and just doing it. So uh, and we'll 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 shoot the shit about the different things, the stories that we care about for the week. Um, and if that's nothing else, you want to say goodbye to the people, AMC, and then I'll close us out. We, we are out. Have a fabulous one, and we'll hear y'all in a couple of weeks. Peace. 
Yeah, so these are the stories that we tell. What are the stories you're telling yourself about you? And what are the stories you're telling the world? Check us out next time at the Gibson Gazette Podcast. Good night.